Well, this morning we're going to be reading from Jeremiah 31. We'll read verses 31 to 34. This is God's word for us, his people today. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. When I was in middle school, I played basketball for a few years on a non-competitive school team. And the non-competitive label meant that everybody made the team, there were no tryouts, there were no cuts, but non-competitive also described how some of our games went. We weren't all terrible players, but we only practiced a couple times a week, so we didn't really have the resources or the time or even necessarily the motivation to make things work really well. So we'd usually have sort of a 50-50 shot at winning when we'd play games, because a lot of other schools were kind of non-competitive too. But every now and then, we'd play a team that was actually good, and that never went real well. And there was one team in particular that we played, and they were from a big city school. And I think they practiced as a team five days a week, and then the team would all go home and play some more basketball for fun in the evenings. I mean, these guys were committed. And the first time we played them, we were down 26 to zero at halftime. Yeah, 26 to zero. By the end of the half, the other team was trying to dunk on us. And if you're getting dunked on in middle school, things are bad. So we dragged into halftime, and our coach's entire halftime speech could be summed up as, guys, it is really bad to get shut out at home in basketball. Let's score some points, huh? So we went out there, and we worked really hard, and the final score was like 60 to 15. But at least we got the moral victory that we didn't get shut out. And a few weeks later, we'd practiced, we'd gotten some more things down. We went, we played that team at their gym, and we did better. We got like 25 points, and they did better, and they got like 75 points. And when we played them the next year, we did even better, so we only lost by 30 points instead of 50. No matter what we did, we just could not get the job done. We'd practice, we'd work at stuff a bit, we'd try, and it wasn't like we were terrible most of the time. But whenever we hit a real challenge, we would just fall apart. And on the ride home, we'd say, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll get them next time. But we knew that when the next time came, we would just lose again, no matter what we'd resolved in the meantime. Now, this is the time of year that a lot of people like to make New Year's resolutions. And of course, the reality is that most of the time, people don't follow through on those resolutions. And often the resolutions are legalistic or just unrealistic. I will, by sheer willpower, maintain my diet and work out eight times a week. Or I'm going to learn two new languages and travel to six different countries this year. Just not going to happen. 
And even if someone makes a New Year's resolution that's kind of realistic and they make it real seriously, usually they don't last real long. When the first real challenge comes, most New Year's resolutions go right out the window. But whether we make New Year's resolutions or not, the New Year does give us a chance to reflect on the past and to think about what we want to do differently in the future. Maybe you had a bad year last year and you're just ready to move on. Maybe you had a good year last year and you want to build on that success. Or maybe you've just kind of drifted into the new year without thinking about it much. But however you've come here on this New Year's Sunday, I'd like to invite all of us to have this text from Jeremiah reframe and refocus our lives so that we again focus on God and our relationship with Him. It's not necessarily healthy for us to get all hung up on everything that went wrong, what we messed up on in the past, but it's important sometimes for us to pause and to take a look at our lives with clear eyes to admit to ourselves that we haven't always been focused on the Lord. We don't often like to hit pause and to spend that time reflecting. It's really hard to examine our lives, to see the times that we lost focus, to admit that we've been sidetracked, and to say, yeah, we just missed it. But all of us have those times. If you remember that section from Exodus 20 that we read a little bit earlier in the service, I'm pretty sure that all of us missed the mark on at least one of those commandments at least a few times in the last year. If the Christian life was an exam, all of us would get at least some of the questions wrong. If the Christian life was a sports game, the good in our lives would often have the losing score at the end of the day. All of us can look back and find times when our most personal thoughts and practices or our most public led us away from God yet again. And that's always been true of God's people. Jeremiah spoke into a time when God's people could look back on a long national history of losing focus and drifting away from God. Jeremiah spent most of his ministry just trying to get the people to turn back and follow God. But of course, for pretty much all of Jeremiah's ministry, the Israelites kept following their tradition of turning away from God and getting into other stuff. Even when they committed to being faithful and they worked hard at it for a while, they'd end up yet again falling away. Israel's history was full of broken resolutions and dying hopes. When Moses first led the people out of Israel, almost right away they were whining that the food and the lodging was better in Egypt. And then they got to Mount Sinai and Moses went up to get instructions from God himself about how the people could live good lives. And then when Moses came down, instead of finding the people waiting to hear from the Lord, he came down to a crazy idolatrous party. The people had made a golden idol and were worshiping that thing they had made instead of waiting to hear from the Lord. So Moses spent a few more decades trying to hammer into these people's heads and hearts how they should follow God. And then after Moses, Joshua took over and he led the people into the promised land And at the end of Joshua's life, they had this huge ceremony where the people said, no, we're going to follow the Lord God and no other gods. It doesn't matter what else comes up. We will follow the Lord and He will be our God. And then only a generation or even a bit less later, the Israelites went back to the every man for himself religious strategy and they mixed in worshiping God with this other God and that other God and anything else that caught their fancy. Once again, God's people got it wrong. 
and things fell into a centuries-long cycle of unfaithfulness, judgment, gracious deliverance by God, and unfaithfulness again, time after time. God continually sent good leaders, a judge like Samuel, a king like David, a prophet like Elijah, and the messiness might clear up for a while, but then once again, the people would lose focus and things would just fall apart. Right up to the time of Jeremiah, God's people kept on doing the same things and getting the same results. They'd follow God's law when it was convenient, when it didn't interfere with other things, and when they wanted to. And then when not listening to God had its natural unpleasant consequences, they'd pause for a moment, and then they'd get back to doing the same old things in the same old way with the same old results. You can see all that is background in verses 31 and 32 of Jeremiah 31, when the Lord says that He's going to make a new, different kind of covenant with His people. A covenant not like the ones he made with their ancestors when he took them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant, even though God was like a husband to them. God had been faithful over and over again, but the people kept wandering away. There's probably a nod to Exodus 20 in those verses saying the people had the law. They'd received God's instructions. They had everything they needed to do to make things right but they were always either unable or unwilling to make it work. God had worked with the people. God had blessed the people. God had punished and corrected the people, and still they would not keep focused. And so here in Jeremiah, God comes and He promises something new and different. God isn't throwing out all the work He'd done with His people before and starting at zero. The history of God working with His people still mattered what he'd done with Abraham, with Moses, with Joshua, with David, with Elijah, all of those centuries he had spent working with the people still mattered. But in this text, God is promising to do something new and deeper. And God promises three particular things in this new covenant. It's not like none of these were present before, but God promises to work them into the lives of his people in a new and more significant way. The first benefit that God promises has to do with His law. The Lord promises in verse 33 that He's going to put His law on people's minds and write it on their hearts. At Sinai, God sent His instructions down written on stone tablets, and those instructions, that law, was kept in the center of the camp. For centuries, those tablets had been in the midst of God's people, but now God says He's going to take that law And instead of writing it on stone tablets that the people could put away and forget about, he's going to write it on their minds and on their hearts. The Israelites often experience God's law as a troublesome to-do list. And just like people do with a list of annoying chores, they'd misinterpret it, they'd resent it, and sometimes they'd just forget all about it. But in this new covenant, God says, he's going to write his laws inside people's hearts. Instead of telling the people to change their behavior, God is going to change the people. God's law isn't going to change, but God is going to transform the people so that their desires, their hearts, point them toward doing what is right instead of leading them to anything and everything else. So first, God promises that in the new covenant, He'll transform His people so they love to do what's right. 
And the second thing God promises in that new covenant is renewed relationship with Him. Verses 33 and 34 say, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. In much of the Old Testament, God's people related to the Lord through someone else, through a great leader who could go and meet face to face with God, through the priests who administered the relationship, through the kings and the prophets who guided God's people and called them back to him. But in this text, God is promising to draw closer to every single one of his people so that they'll know God in a new and personal way. So God promises personal transformation, and he also promises a new level of personal, renewed relationship in the new covenant. And the third benefit that God promises is the forgiveness of sins. Our text for today ends with the words, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Once more, God is promising to wash away the sins of his people. Even though they've fallen away from him again and again, he will forgive them. Even though at Jeremiah's time, the people spent most of their lives actively rebelling against God and doing the exact opposite of what he told them, God promises that he will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. In this covenant, God promises he'll transform his people, he'll draw closer to them, and he'll cleanse them from their sins. Now, absolutely none of that really came into play at Jeremiah's time. There was more disobedience, more unfaithfulness, and more sin. And Jeremiah's life ended with him and a small remnant of Israel exiled in a different land. This did not happen at Jeremiah's time. But of course, the new covenant isn't centered on Jeremiah. It's centered on Jesus. And in the coming of Christ, we see the fulfillment of God's promises in Jeremiah 31. When Jesus came, God's people had again turned his instructions into a to-do list. If you checked off the right things in your life, you could call yourself righteous. But this, of course, missed the heart of the issue, and Jesus brought the focus back to the heart. What people do matters. Jesus insisted that the law mattered, but he shifted the focus from doing the law, fulfilling the to-do list, and then getting on with whatever else you wanted to do, to having the law be all about your heart. Jesus was all about getting people into a right relationship with God. Humanity does not exist to keep the law but rather the law exists to guide humanity into the right relationship with God. And of course, Jesus provided the only way that we could ever really have a renewed, lasting relationship with God. Jesus himself gave us a living demonstration of who God is, and in Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven, he acted as true God and true man. Jesus is the bridge that connects us to God forever. Because of his work, we're guaranteed to have a God in heaven who understands and who cares for us. God is truly our God in Christ, and we are truly his people. Christ is the fulfillment of the new covenant, and in him we have a new, a deeper, a more lasting way to follow our Lord. And so in each of our lives, if we're Christians, God continues to be at work 
in ways that go deeper than our sin, deeper than our unfaithfulness, and deeper even than our indifference. If you belong to Jesus, God is at work in you. Whether you come into this new year ready to move on from a bad year, ready to build on a good year, or whatever, God is at work in your life. Christ has brought forgiveness for your sins. Christ has established a new kind of relationship between God and His people. And Christ is even now living in our midst. But even as we rest on God's work on our behalf, we need to keep following Christ. This isn't about passing an exam or fulfilling a bargain or winning at some game where we have to count up the points on each side. This is about living as the people that we already are in God's God's sight. We're human beings and we're creatures of habit, so we need to keep working on our habits as we follow God's will for our lives. We can't just say, hooray, God's at work within us, and then ignore it the rest of the time. We need to respond to God giving us a new heart by working the realities of that heart out in our habits. Over the summer in middle school, I usually went to a basketball camp or two, and the coach who ran those camps would always talk about muscle memory. He'd say over and over again, okay, you need to get the technique right, but then you need to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice until you don't even need to think about how to play anymore. You need to get the initial stuff right, but then you've got to keep at it over and over until your muscles themselves remember what to do. Well, as Christians, we need to develop spiritual muscle memory. God has given us the basic instructions, but we need to keep at them. In this new year, first of all, rejoice in the grace that God has given you, but also keep developing your spiritual routines. Keep the basic habits of Christianity going in your life. Read the Bible, pray every day, serve others, come to church, get into a Bible study, get into a small group, Find some accountability with other believers. Our lives change first and foremost because of God's work in our hearts and our minds, but the realities of our hearts get worked out in the habits that we choose to develop, in the habits that we work at day after day after day. We don't need to be making some kind of grandiose New Year's resolution to do everything right, but we shouldn't be just drifting through the Christian life either. We have an opportunity to be always growing. God is at work in our hearts, changing us, molding us, making us new people. And without God's work on our behalf, everything would be hopeless. But God doesn't do everything for us. God comes and He invites us to work with Him. Grace, forgiveness of sins, renewed relationship lead to gratitude in Christian living. We don't always win the battle against sin. Sometimes at night we might go to bed and the final score might be 16 to 15 against us on that day. But the great thing is that we have another day, another year, another eternity to keep working at following our Lord. God is transforming us more and more into His image and likeness. God has made a new covenant with us. God has put His law on our minds and written it on our hearts. He is our God, and we are His people. Let's respond to God's gracious work with grateful living in this new year.